Eric Little was born January 16th, 1902, to the Scottish missionaries Reverend and Mrs. James Dunlop Little. He was born in Tietzen, China, and the Littles soon recognized Eric's athletic abilities, especially how he excelled in running. At eight, he was enrolled in Eltime College, a boarding school for the sons of missionaries, and later on in Oxford. Little soon became known as the fastest runner in Scotland. But what set Eric apart even further were his ethics and his attitude. One headmaster described him as being entirely without vanity. He went on to place on the Edinburgh rugby team as well as placing in various AAA championships in the 100 and 200 meter runs. But it was in 1924 that Eric Little went into the history books. Eric placed on the Olympic, the British Olympic team and he was considered a favorite for the 100 meter run. But he discovered that the qualifying run took place on Sunday. Eric uh, was forced to weigh the effects of ignoring his conscience and what it would have on the many believers against disappointing many of his countrymen who were hoping for his victory. Eric stuck to his personal convictions and he withdrew from the race. Instead, Eric spent his time training for the 400-meter run. And as Eric slipped into the starting blocks on the 400-meter run on January 11, 1924, a masseur from the American Olympic team slipped him a message. On it was written a quotation from 1 Samuel 2.30. Those who honor me, I will honor. Being a sprinter, Eric quickly took the lead at 200 meters. However, he realized because of his fast start, he would have to treat the entire race as a sprint. And he was challenged down the final straightaway, but he held on to set a new world record at 47.6 seconds, a record that would stand for some 12 years. But as amazing as that race was, it paled in comparison to the race that he ran for Christ. Eric returned to China as a missionary and served in various capacities. In 1932, he was ordained a minister. And in 1941, the British government advised all British nationals to leave China because of the aggression of the Japanese. Eric sent his wife and children to Canada, but he stayed in. And in 1943, the invading Japanese placed him into the Wisen internment camp. But even here, Eric served with distinction. Amid the scarcity of food and medicine, Eric taught Bible classes to the adults and science classes to the children. It was there that he often would help settle disputes between uh, the various, various individuals, even the Christians. And in Wyson, Eric developed some serious health issues. And five months before the camp was liberated, Eric died at age 43 of a brain tumor, exhaustion, and malnourishment. The entire camp seemed stunned, a fellow missionary wrote. 
the Chinese government later disclosed that Eric was offered to be part of a prisoner exchange, but opted to have a lady with a pregnancy take his place. Eric's final words were recorded, and they were just three. Those three words summed up Eric's life. They summed up his love for Christ and for others. They summed up his passion. They even summed up why he finished well. I imagine those three words kind of being the motto of his life. Those are his three words. It's complete surrender. This morning I'm hard-pressed to find three words that are more appropriate as we consider our relationships with each other as a church. You see, it's those three words that the Apostle Paul had in mind in Romans chapter 12 when he, when he wrote the words, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. those three words it's a complete surrender good morning and welcome to our worship expected to the lord's table this morning uh it's here where we uh, get into the meat of god's word uh also uh this morning we are going to step into romans 14 and into our relationships with each other relationships with believers how we resolve conflict. Throughout the years, I've, I've watched, uh, probably with dismay, at how poor the churches do at resolving conflict. Uh, and I'm not just talking about the more conservative denominations. Actually, many denominations have just done very poorly at resolving conflict. I watched churches fracture and divide numerous times. The obvious consequence is that a lot of people get hurt. And uh, they get hurt or disillusioned. And, and the very place where people should be, be, be loved and cared for and uh, feel safe is a church. And it seems like it's a church where some get hurt the worst. And I know some of you sitting here this morning carry some of those scars, those wounds and those deep hurts. And it's those kinds of spiritual wounds that keep us from trusting, keep us from loving, or they keep us from caring. In fact, they really keep us from living. And even some of the things that we've gone through as a church uh, are as a fellowship. In spite of the best efforts of us as the pastors, I know that I've left some hurts. And it all has to do with the Greek word diakrisis, a judicial estimation, or to put it in plain English, gray areas. And it was translated disputations. Something that isn't black and white. Something that God is not explicit about. 
Uh, contrary to what some people believe, God does not uh, speak specifically to everything that comes into our lives. However, there are certainly our guiding principles that would apply to everything that comes into our life. The context has to do this morning with the, those who are weak in the faith and those who are strong and the conflict that arises because of it, the differences. I want all of you to get this, that this is a constant in every church age. We were going to see differences in the church until uh, we're translated in heaven. The reason being, if we're doing what God has called us to do, we're bringing, always bringing people into the church. And there will always be differences because of the different stages. Just Number one, just because of the different stages of maturity. So differences are a given. But what we all need are some tools how to resolve those differences. We, uh, tools that keep us healthy, godly, biblical, working together, and just being effective. I've already asked some pastors in the past, how do you resolve differences in your church? And one pastor was just honest. He said, I don't know. I don't think we've done everything wrong here because I've had another pastor ask me, he said, how do you resolve some of those? How do you work with some of those issues in your church? Because he said, it's amazing. If we'd work with those same issues in our church, we'd split the church. So we've done some things right here. We also watch the actions of various pastors. We've watched some pastors who just turn into dictators, uh, lawmen. They state how it's going to be, and you get to choose whether you stay or leave. We've watched the other side as well. As some pastors simply become passive. They kind of check out and uh, just to avoid conflict. I'm convinced there's a better way, a better way to this. Neither approach is the answer. Romans 14, verse 1. Romans chapter 14, verse 1. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. There are those who want to be like the early church, and sometimes I'm not sure why. Uh, but let me tell you this. Comfort yourself with this thought. They, too, had their problems. Um, there was the dietary laws of those who came out of the Jewish faith and all their dietary laws, as well as the Gentiles who were involved in pagan worship, the sacrificing of animals to idols and to devils. So you had a mixed group. Uh, so food was just a big issue in the church. In our day, food is not an issue. We all enjoy it. But there are lots of others. Dress is a big one. For some of you gals, you prefer a cape dress traditional 
and think we should promote it. There are others of you who think skirts and blouses are equally modest. The veiling, that's a big one. Just looking around here this morning, we can tell that there are various opinions to the headship covering. Just, just by looking around. For the men, it's the, it's the suits. Straight collar. Some of you certainly prefer that. Would prefer that being the norm. Others of you prefer a lay-down suit. Just perhaps out of convenience. Um, basketball shorts. Some of you would be caught dead in those. And others of you would probably think that it's appropriate for some sports. Sports is another issue. Some of you would prefer that we not participate in organizations. Many of you enjoy it. Media. Media is another area of big differences. Smartphones, radio, television slash video. Some of you prefer a healthy distance. And there are some of you who prefer to use some of it. Voting. Voting is another big issue. Some of you strongly think Christians should not vote. And there are probably some of you who are just as strong on the other side. Think Christians should vote. Someone has, has observed there are moments when it seems that we are two groups within one. And as pastors, we realize the diversity that is in this congregation. And even we as us pastors have our preferences. We don't always see the same on the same on a given, you know, on the same issue. We don't necessarily see some things. So let me share with you a few observations. First of all, there will always be differences. Stop thinking that we are the only church that has ever had conflicts or issues. It's the norm. There will always be problems. Where there are people, there will be problems. Someone has said, if you find the perfect church, don't join it because you're going to mess it up. <laughs> Secondly, not everything needs to be a church issue. Let me give you an example. We don't think it needs to be a church issue whether you use an incandescent or a fluorescent light bulb in your homes. We just really don't need to spend some church time on that, all right? You follow the Lord on that decision and, and give God the glory and we'll be fine with whatever, thing you, whatever you choose, okay? Not everything needs to be a church issue. Some prefer to drive a GM product. Others of you prefer something else, Toyota, Ford, or Honda. It's okay. We'll keep praying. <laughs> now, let me give you the balancing statement to that, to that one. 
we should be able as a church family to discuss and resolve any issue biblically, lovingly, and civilly. We should be able to sit down and with love, with care, come to some kind of a godly and a biblical resolution on any issue. That's the balance. You know why? Because God gives us some tools that no matter on which side of an issue you stand on, that will work. The first tool is in verse 3. It says, let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. Let him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. The first tool is that we are all on the same team. It says, for God hath received him. It does not matter on which side of the, the issue you stand on. The person who is on the opposite side has been received by God. And if we've both been received by God, we're on the same team. You know why that's so important? Team members don't destroy each other. You see, Paul is not a novice when it comes to church conflict. He knew that those who tend to take a more liberal or a progressive pro approach, those who want to exercise their liberty, tend to despise those who are more conservative. And he knew that those who are more conservative tend to be very judgmental of those who want to exercise their liberty. You see, because we are selfish, church conflicts quickly become personal. We quickly figure out who's on our side and who's on the other side. And we distance ourselves. We stop accepting them. You know what? I think in every church issue that we discuss, we should put on a PowerPoint at the very top, we are all on the same team. We should remind each other. You see, the issue itself might not be sin, but if we stop accepting each other, that is sin. And I can show you by Scripture. Let me say it again. If we stop accepting each other, it is sin. If God has accepted a brother or a sister, are you greater than God? If God has accepted them? How do we not accept someone? Well... For those who are more progressive or tend to want to exercise their liberty, they despise those who are. It means to make utterly nothing. You know how you do that? You simply treat them as 
unvaluable. Just having no value. You devalue them. You give them the cold shoulder. You don't agree with me? Sorry. That's sin. That's sin. It shouldn't happen in a church family. James chapter 2. And I know the context is has to do with someone who's wealthy and someone who's poor, but I want you to get the partiality that's sh- that takes place here. James chapter 2, my brethren, have not faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come into your assembly a man with a gold ring and a, gold and a goodly pair, and there come also a poor man in vile raiment, and you have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and saith to him, Sit thou here in a good place, and to the poor, Sit thou there, sit here under my footstool. Notice what it says. Are ye not partial in yourselves and have become judges of evil thoughts? When we oppose someone or we give someone the cold shoulder because they don't agree with us on a certain issue, friends, we become judges of evil thoughts. Verse 8, if ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, so do ye well. But if ye have respect to persons, or if you are partial, ye commit sin, and are convinced of the law as transgressors. I don't know how I could put it simpler than that, guys. We're a team. Stop thinking evil of others. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about the pastors. It's all about God and his will for us. In the very same breath, I want to say all of you are valuable. And what you give here really makes a difference. Now, those who tend to be more conservative, Notice what it says, let not him that eat uh, let not him that eateth not judge him that eateth. For God has received him. Judge means to find fault. It just means to criticize, condemn. And I've noticed those who are more conservative tend to be more critical. Uh, they think everyone should be like them. They notice everything. They notice what everyone wears, what they drive, what they own. They have this little mental checklist of what everyone does. Especially the things that are wrong. Right? It's for you that I want to share the words of President Roosevelt. What you consider what he says. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbled or the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit goes to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust, sweat, and blood, who strives valiantly, 
who errs and comes up short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, who actually does who does actually try to do the deed, who knows the great enthusiasm, the great devotion, and spends himself in a worthy cause, who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. Far better be it to dare mighty things, to win glorious triumphs, even though checkered by failure, than to rank with those spirits who know neither joy nor suffering much because they live in the gray twilight that neither knows victory nor defeat. It's better to try and to fail than to not try at all. Stop finding fault. Verse 4. Second tool. Irregardless on which side of the issue you come down, None of us are called to a ministry of condemnation. We are all under the same Lord. It says in verse 4, Who art thou that thou judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holding up, for God is able to make him stand. In a team context, we are all under the same coach. Trust your brothers and sisters to take their orders from the coach. There's something you need to understand. On a team, we don't necessarily all get the same orders from the coach. Don't think because someone disagrees with you that they aren't where the Lord wants them to be. It could easily be that they are right where God wants them to be. Let me just share you a personal experience of mine. Some time ago in one of our, our leadership meetings, uh, an issue came up. And all of you know how I've taught that on some of these, these little gray areas that we, we need to just give each other some, uh, some room. And it, it's okay if we disagree. Well, when this issue came up, a point of view was expressed, and I disagreed. I tried two or three different angles to get this individual to try to see my point of view. I just thought this individual had to see my point of view. And as I was trying that second or third angle... It seems like God just just nails me, spoke to me. You hypocrite. You you teach that there's there's room for a different point of view. And I just kind of stopped cold and I just said, you know, we believe this church is, is a place where you get to express a different point of view. And uh, there's room here for your point of view. You see, some things we will never see quite alike on this side of heaven just because of our different parents, the backgrounds we come from, our different life experiences, um, different levels of maturity. But isn't it amazing if, if, if the Lord works in your life and, and the Lord works in my life, 
how we can work together. Isn't that amazing? How, what we can do if we're willing to surrender and work as a team. Verses 6. 5 and 6 are issues that have to do, it wasn't just food, it was also certain days. I mean, it was a big issue back then. It was the issue of holy days. So one that, for one man esteemeth one day above another, another man esteemeth every day alike. Notice this. Let every man be fully persuaded in his mind. How's that going to work? You see, in a church, two people could both be fully persuaded in their minds. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day to, to the Lord doth not regard it. And he eateth and eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks, and he that eateth not to the Lord he eateth not. And give us God thanks. For none of us live to himself, and no man dieth to himself. It's reaffirming the tool I gave to you. We all operate or are under the same Lord. For whether we live unto the Lord, for whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. We both belong to the Lord. Some of these issues, depending on where you're at, we both belong to the Lord. I'm talking to some of these gray. If it's, a, if, if it's black and white in Scripture, it's sin, it's sin. For unto this end, Christ both died and rose and revived that he might be the Lord of both the, li- the dead and the living. Verse 10 is the last tool. Why, but why dost thou judge thy brother? Who dost thou set at naught thy brother? For, he sh- for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We, here's the third tool, we're all going to give an account for the attitudes we've had towards each other before the judgment seat of Christ. Look at that. Those are has to do with attitudes. I'm convinced that some, that the greater part of the loss of rewards is not where we stood on each side of the issue, but the attitudes we have towards each other. Can you imagine becoming before the judgment seat of Christ, looking Jesus in the eyes, and it says he's, it's, he's talking about the judgment takes in 1 Corinthians uh, 3 and 2 Corinthians 5. That judgment, no one's going to be lost, but it says it shall be tried as by fire. He's going to take your life. He's, I don't know if he's just going to light it. And imagine your life just burning up. Because of the attitudes you've had against brothers and sisters. You've done the right things. You went to church. You've taught Sunday school. But you just couldn't get along with someone in the church. We're all going to be accountable. The Apostle Paul didn't, didn't even exclude himself. It's a 
believer's judgment. Attitudes and motives will be revealed. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess God. So then, every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. No one gets by. If you're saved, born again, and you love the Lord, there's room in this church for you. You're very conservative and prefer things more traditional. I want you to know that there is room in this church for you. And for those of you who tend to be a little more progressive and who like exercising your liberty, I want to tell you there's some room in this church for you. Not everything needs to be a church issue. I'm going to borrow Jonathan's words because it's what I believe. I believe the Lord is able to do a good work in your life. You see, irregardless where you're at, if you're living a surrendered life, if you really believe we are a team, that we are one and that there are no sides, if you really believe the best in others in this congregation, if you really believe that you can trust brothers and sisters to walk with the Lord, and if you really believe that you will give an account to Christ for your attitudes, I guess I can't think of any issue we couldn't sit down and discuss as a brotherhood, as a church family. I just can't think of any issue we couldn't discuss. That we couldn't resolve biblically, godly, and lovingly. I know some of you have been hurt by pastors, have been hurt deeply by some pastors in the past. I'm sorry that it's happened. And I want to be the first to admit as pastors, we, we, we are nowhere near perfection here. We, we've certainly made our share of mistakes. There's been more than one leadership meeting that we've, we've asked the question. The question that has been surfaced is, what, what did we do wrong? On the other hand, I'd like you to consider our, our track record. We've really tried hard to keep this place of worship a, a healthy place, a godly place, and a safe place. Our heart has never been to control or manipulate you. Secondly, we haven't just given you our time. We've, we've given ourselves. The last weekend marked 15 years that I've served you. Henry and Martha, they have more years than that under their belt. They've given to you. Laverne and Luella, they've, they've got a few years under their belt. And it's especially true of James and Glad. 
uh, they have in so many ways sacrificed themselves for the benefit of all of you. They've given an insane amount of time and this, this you really have become their life. And, and we're all richer because of it. James really does have a shepherd heart. He cares about you. All of you. And when I say all, I really mean all. He's earned my respect. And I don't mind telling you this morning, he's the better man. I guess what I'm asking this morning, what I'm getting around to, is that I'm asking you or I'm calling you to some greatness. To make this congregation better, more effective, to be willing to work as a team, to work as one, to drop the word I and start using us, us, others, to be willing to sacrifice, to cooperate, to really care about others and, and to be careful about your attitude. And to be willing to face and resolve some of the tough issues together. And then some of those issues it may mean of being disagreeing or agreeing to disagree. It might mean that. Here's the commitment I, I want to give you from us as a leadership team. I think I'm okay to do that. If we get it wrong, we'll keep coming back till we get it right. Isn't that what greatness is all about? Staying at it. Let me close with the words of President Roosevelt again. Far better it is to dare mighty things, to win glorious triumphs, even though checkered by failure, than to rank with those spirits who neither enjoy nor suffer much because they live in the, the gray twilight that, neither, that knows neither victory nor defeat. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for some of the tools you give us as a brotherhood. Lord, thank you for a brotherhood, a church family that loves, and cares, resolves, and who walks through life together. Lord, thank you for reminding us that as a church family, we need to have each other's back. We need to care about each other. We need to be better at taking care of each other. Lord, I also thank you for reminding us about our attitudes. Not to not to distance ourselves from each other, but to truly care and love and encourage. Reminding us that this needs to be a place of, of healing, of, of, of caring, of, of encouraging. But Lord, I would pray this morning that these, this would not stay print on a page, but this would become our life, our lifestyle, the way we live. These words would be written in our hearts. 
I'm convinced it works, Lord. Thank you, the Father, for these words, the simplicity of them and the wisdom of those. And thank you for what you'll do as we walk by faith. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.